Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. If you've got your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Or 1 Corinthians. We are starting our series this morning called Wild. You probably saw that on Facebook and wondered what this is about. Wild, the church in Corinth, more than any other church that we read about in the scriptures, was known as probably one of the wildest churches ever. And you will pick up why that church was wild. And today, I'm going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 till verse 9. That's where we are going this morning. But the title of my message is No Limits. And I'll explain to you later why. But before we do that, let's do a quick background of the letter, but also of the city of Corinth. So you know a little bit the context when Paul was writing this letter. The first thing you want to know about Corinth is that as a city, around the 8th century BC till about 146 BC, this city was governed by the Greeks. And later on, the Romans took over in about 144. They took over and they destroyed the city and it was later rebuilt and it became a Roman city. But also, Corinth was known for quite a few things. And one of the things that Corinth was known for, it was known for what they would call the Isthmus Games. These were games like the Olympic Games. The Greeks were very good with, with games. So the Isthmus games, there were games that would happen every other year. And with these games, people will come from different cities and different parts of the world. They will gather in this city for the games. Some of you have seen the, the Commonwealth games have just been happening over the last few weeks. It was similar. But people will come from all over the world to come and observe and witness this competition that was taking place. So you had the Olympics Games and you also have these Isthmus Games that were happening every other year. But these games were done in honor of Poseidon who was a, a, a god or it was a sea god, a god that will be worshipped. So to play these games wasn't just playing, it was in honor of this particular god that they used to worship. And also one of the things that was there in Corinth, it, they had this temple of a woman called Aphrodite. In the Bible, they also call her Diana. And Diana was worshipped in her temple. And in Diana's temple... History recalls that at one point, they had at least about 1,000 prostitutes in the temple. So Corinth was known as a place, the center of prostitution around that time because of Diana. So all these ladies will come and gather there and there will be wealthy people from different parts of the world who will come there. And by the way, they even say that there was... 
people used to pay different prices for different people. Something that is still happening even right now in our world. So you, you, you're confronted with this incredible com competition that's taking place in the city. The second thing that you're realizing is that there is this idolatry, but also fornication and promiscuity as well, to a point that a term was coined, which is Corinthiasio, which means Corinthianize, and that term means fornication. So if someone was to talk to you now and say, you seem to be Corinthianizing, which means, that means, by the way, it's not a nice thing to say, which means you are fornicating. So the city was really wild. The third thing that we pick up, at least later, when, when the Romans were ruling in the city of Corinth, is that it became the center of imperial cult. So the emperors of the time were worshipped as, as the sort of demi or we, they believed that they had created the universe, that the universe was created by the emperors, and the emperors were worshipped. That's why every emperor had a coin, and that coin would say something like king of kings and maybe lord of lords. So that means if you came to Corinth and called Jesus king of kings and lord of lords, what you are saying then is this is not just blasphemy. You are speaking against the establishment of the time. And it was such a big thing. And just, that just goes to show how challenging it was when Paul came to preach the gospel there. To a point, if you read Acts 18, it says, God says, do not fear, for I have many people in the city. Because all these challenges came to Paul. I want to just show you the map of Corinth so you see what, where the city is situated. This is where Corinth is in uh, what we would call uh, modern-day Greece. It's just up here. And by the way, Corinth is still there even right now. It's still a city, but it's not as powerful a city as it was in the first century. But Corinth right now has a population of about 30,000 people. It's not as strong and economically powerful as it was back then. But that's where Paul went. And if you fancy going to Corinth, it's still around. Let's look at the background of the church. When Paul went to plant this church, it is believed that he went around AD 49 or 50. But regardless, Paul was there to plant this church for about 18 months. It is recorded that he spent about 18 months establishing and planting this church so that this church can be uh, established. And we know that he came across a man called Sosthenes, who was, um, he was the ruler of um, what was then known as a place for Jews to go and worship. So he, this man was looking after that place, and the gospel came to him. He became a believer. Later on, as he, Paul writes this letter, this man is writing this letter with Paul. But also, I want to say that Paul planted this church on his last, or what you call his third missionary journey. I'm sure there is a map here, and you'll, be, you'll see what that, where that is. This is Paul's third missionary journey, and he stopped in Corinth to plant the church, which means it was the last journey that Paul took 
as he was going around planting churches. But one of the things you need to know about the city, as well as the church, is that the city was very multicultural, and the church was also very multicultural. The city consisted of Romans, and it consisted of Greeks, but also of Jews as well. And the church that Paul is writing to here is a church that is very multicultural like we are right now. And the city that where Paul is planting the church is a city similar to Dubai and many cities around the world where the people are, don't want to hear anything about God and most people are far away from God and the city is called wild. I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to look at this letter together. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 till 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother Sosthenes, the man who was there when Paul planted this church. He's now in Ephesus as Paul writes this letter, and he is with Paul. To the church of God that is in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this place. I want to thank you that you've given us a place to meet this Friday. I want to thank you for the church. I want to thank you for the churches, even the the pastors, ministers that we've seen or I was able to spend time with this week. Lord, those who were saying, Fusi, as City Hill, we want to help you. And those who said, sorry, we don't want, we can't help you. I want to thank you for them. And I pray your grace will be upon their lives. I pray for the unity of the church in this city, that the church will be one, just as you and the Father Jesus are one. I pray, Father God, for the believers to be one, just as you and the Father are one. Lord, as we read this ch- uh, about this church in Corinth, we realize the competition that was there in the city crept into the church. We realize that the fornication that was there in the city was there in the, ch- in the church. We realize, Lord, that... There was so much that was happening. The idolatry that was there in the city was there in the church. And we pray, Father, set the church free. Bring her close to you. Sanctify her. Make her more like Jesus. Glorify her in the future. Lord, I pray, may your church stand. May every individual in the church, Lord, restore and renew their passion for the local church. And I pray today that by your spirit, even as we start this series right now, Lord, would you come and speak to our hearts, transform us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to draw three things from this passage for you. 
And these are the three things that I'm going to speak to you about. The first one is community without boundaries, grace without measure, and future without end. Community without boundaries, grace without measure, and future without end. Community without boundaries. When you read this passage, I can't help but to go back to verse 2 of the passage and hear what Paul says. And it's very easy for us to miss some of these key things that Paul seems to be saying. He says here, listen to this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's talking about City Hill, by the way. Called to be saints together with, listen to the, called to be saints. But then he goes on to say something we don't expect him to say. He says, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about the church. The church is a community without boundaries. Why? Firstly, irrespective of your walks or different, we come from different walks of life here, irrespective of your background, the church is the, is the the only place that will say, it, it does, it, regardless of where you come from, you are welcomed in. It says, it doesn't matter who you were before. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you were a witch before you came to Christ. It's that Christ has the power to save and welcome you in. It doesn't matter whether you, had, you suffered in the past. You, you are welcomed in. It doesn't matter whether you were... It's not just a, com a community that consists of people who are sorted, who are okay, who are doing really well and have grown up in a Christian family. Show me a show of hand here who's grown up in a Christian family. That's interesting. It's not many. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My dad smoked weed. And... <laughs> I'm still accepted. My dad smoked wheat. He had a, a hair similar to mine, but it was longer. And this is not because I smoke wheat. <laughs> Some of you worshipped idols. Some of you did things that you are not proud of. If we were to put screens around here and say, let all what Fusi has done in his life be displayed there, I would be extremely embarrassed. So would you. Not weed. I would be experienced. So would you. I didn't smoke weed. I have never smoked weed. I said public confession. I want to publicly confess. Dad, why did you do that? But anyway, as we stand here today, what we have done, if it could be displayed... We all will go, ah, I can't believe him or her. But you know what the community we are in? is a community where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your past. What matters is Christ. So we are, there are no boundaries. We reach, the grace of God is able to reach beyond that. It doesn't matter where you come from. So our stories are very different. And yet... We are a beautiful, one beautiful, great community of God together here. The other thing is, is our ethnicity. You look around here. This community doesn't say, All right, only this ethnic group or that ethnic group. There are no boundaries to the ethnic, ethnic groups that are welcomed in the church. Hey, by the way, let me tell you this. Every 
knee will bow every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. God is bringing in. He says he doesn't draw any barriers and boundaries. Let me say this. We have drawn boundaries and barriers. And I want to say this. We, have, we in the church have determined who is in and who is not, who is supposed to come in and who is supposed to What? Homophobia. This person, do you know what? They come from this background. They have feelings for another. He's a man. He has feelings for another man. The gospel says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are because the, the grace will, will change you. And then it says, where do you come from? I come from India. Where do you come from? I come from Kerala, which is uh, different from India. And then it says, <laughs> says, where do you come from? I come from. Oh, I need to get on. I need to finish my message, by the way. <laughs> Ask the Keralites over coffee. But where do you come from? I come from India. Oh, where do you come from? I come from the UK. Where do you come from? I come from um, South Africa. Or I come from this place. The gospel just says, oh, by the way, this community doesn't care. It does, this community doesn't care where you come from. If you believe in Christ, you are in there are no boundaries. We don't draw boundaries because countries do draw boundaries. India and Pakistan, you shall not pass. It's like, you shall not pass. But the gospel says, no, 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 there are no boundaries. As you come in, you come into a beautiful community without any boundaries. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. Here's another one. What about numbers? This is one I want to challenge you about. What about numbers? Do you know how many people here, if I interviewed you, you would much rather the church was just you guys over here. You would be happy if you were just in that group of people. You would be happy if it was just that. You would be happy. And someone would say, hey, let's be theological. Now, let's go. Do you remember in the first century, the churches met in, in houses. You know, do you believe in house church? You know, it's house church. Hey, when you go to some parties, you got bouncers standing there by the door, and they say, all right, is your name in? No, we don't see you out. Or sometimes they say, sorry, mate, the list is full. You're not allowed in. But in the church, numbers, you, you, there are no limitations to, based on numbers. We don't say, oh, we want a small church. Let me say this. Luke seems to spend all his time counting numbers. Why is he doing that? Because he's celebrating that the boundaries that were there in Jerusalem are being broken once and for all. That the church seems to be growing. Oh, there were 3,000. Hey, by the way, there are 5,000. We might as well just keep taking up an offering to make sure that we get a bigger place. You, we cannot say that, no, 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 no. We are growing now. We need to just try and keep this very small. No, 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 no. The church doesn't create that boundary of space. We need to look for a bigger space, and bigger space, and bigger venue. Why? Because there are no boundaries to numbers. We are a church that grows. The, the Corinthians were growing, and the numbers are insignificant. Because what God wants is a community where you don't draw any boundaries or any limits or any borders anywhere. There are no limits to this community. So regardless of your preference, by the way, it's not a principle in the Bible. And someone can say, yeah, but I'm not able to build a relationship. Let me tell you what, I don't know everyone in this place, and it's okay. 
but I do know everyone in our, in our city group, by the way, and that's amazing. Because as you, as you become something completely different, the principles, how your family works out, they need to be also changed based on that. You can't say, so I, can, I need to know everybody. Let me just tell you this. You are not going to know everybody. And by the way, it's okay. But as long as you are building and are part of this family of believers together. The other thing is style. Sometimes we put our barriers, our boundaries like this, and we say, listen now, I know the church as we, we have to sit in pews and we have to also only sing this kind of song. What you've done without realizing is you've drawn boundaries without realizing. You've said, God, what do you know? I know what a church should look like, and this is what I'm looking for. This is how the church should look like. And let me just say this. There are no boundaries to the kind of music we, we play, the kind of expression of worship we pray. We spend all our time judging churches or judging one another about how we do this. God is not interested in that. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in when I sing this song, is it coming from my heart? Am I expressing that I love Jesus? Whether I'm singing it with my hands here or with my hands here, it doesn't matter. Sometimes we spend all our time looking at the, the little things. And I just want to say, God has those boundaries that we are trying to make and create. God wants to get rid of them. So this morning, I, was, I loved it. The, the, the China guys, they came on the stage and, uh, and that, that song was like, what was it? Was it a rap song? It was cool, wasn't it? I love it in our meetings. When, so it's not about rock or hymns. It's about an expression of worship that gives glory to Christ. And, uh, and if I sing, if I stood here now and, and, and there was a hymn, goodness me, I love hymns, by the way. She's rich in worship. I would be singing it. And if it's a mad red man, rock kind of music, I love it as well. Why? Because it brings glory to Jesus. What I'm trying to say is there are no limits to this. God is bringing people in, and you are all different. It's okay. This is a community without boundaries. It says you are in, regardless of who you are. The other thing is distance and geography. This is an interesting one, because we often would say, oh, no, 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 no. China? That's too far. Who's ever gone there? Well, I've, I have to go there. But that's too far. Who's ever gone there? If Paul hadn't planted the church in Corinth, if Paul didn't think the community of believers was a community without boundaries, we, I believe in the sovereignty of God, by the way, but this, this is just to drive a point home. I believe in the sovereignty of God, God who saves us regardless of man's endeavor, etc. But I believe we would be in a different place today had Paul not believed in his church that it's not just Antioch, is Antioch, Jerusalem, is Judea, is Samaria, is the ends of the earth. There are no boundaries. Do you know what? Governments draw boundaries. The gospel breaks boundaries. The gospel just goes beyond boundaries. They say, oh, this place, we're not allowed. Oh, no, 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 we cross that boundary. Oh, this place is too far. No, no, no. In the gospel, there are no borders. Because the gospel of the kingdom of God is far bigger. It's a community that is ever going to grow. It's going to grow to a point that... John's prophecy or John's vision that he sees in Revelation will be fulfilled. 
where he talks about a community without boundaries. He says, I saw a multitude. It was a people I could not count from every tribe, every tongue, every language. And by the way, they were all looking very different. And it's okay. And Paul says here, I grace to you, but not just you guys. I thank God not just for you guys, but for all the churches that are outside. Which means he's saying, Corinth is not just about the boundaries of Corinth or the church there. The community of God is far bigger than the boundaries you've created. Secondly, grace without measure. The big question here is this. Are we under grace or we are under law? And Paul says, I give thanks to my God. This is verse 4. Always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Here's an interesting one. Is it about grace or is it about law? The reality is, it's not about the law, it's about grace. You're saved by grace through faith. But one of the things that's happening is that the problem is we get saved, and sometimes we choose one of the two things. The first one that we end up choosing is legalism. And the second one that we, ch we choose is what um, Martin Luther coined, he called it antinomianism, which is anti-law. What do I mean by that? Legalism says self-righteousness, I can do it by myself. Antinomianism says the grace of God is very cheap. It doesn't change my life. It doesn't do anything in my life. So both are equally really bad. And you're probably sitting here today and you are saying, yes, I know lots of people who are legalistic. By the way, there is a Pharisee in you. But legalism says, I can do it if I work harder. I can earn. I can be loved. I can be accepted. Antinomianism says, or anti-law says, I don't have to do anything. And by the way, I can just continue my life as I did before I became a believer. It's just okay because God just loves me anyway. And that sometimes can be dangerous because it can feel like it's, it can be like a masquerading of grace because it feels like it's a little bit like grace, doesn't it? That's why it can be so dangerous. Let me, share, let me say, legalists will always say to, the, uh, to, to those who are anti-law, he says, you guys are treating the grace of God really cheap. And they have scriptures to quote. But the, the, the guys who are antinomianists who say, you are so legalistic. And let me say this. These are the two evils. And the principle of the lesser of the two evils doesn't apply here. Because two, equally they fall in the same place. And let me tell you what these two have in common. Number one, they have a low view of God's commandment. What do I mean by that? Legalists say, God is a heavy-handed father who puts a heavy burden on us. You know what we're going to do? We're going to work really hard to achieve, and we're going to prove that we can do it. The antinomianists say, God has put a very heavy burden on us, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to defy it. We're not going to do it. The gospel says, the law is holy, it's from God, but when righteousness comes, the law is not active anymore. The gospel says, the law of God was holy, was given by God, but God was not given, he did not give us the law so that we might be under the law. The law was a schoolmaster who was helping us to find where, to, to, to know that we are doing something wrong. But when we found Jesus, 
we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. But equally, as we are under grace, it doesn't mean whatever we do doesn't matter. Because everything I do matters to God a lot. Number two, a wrong view of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The law says the Old Testament is here to keep us in line. That's why we need to observe the Old Testament. Antinomianism says the Old Testament is now obsolete since the New Testament has come. How many people have you spoken to who have said, let's not read the Old Testament anymore? And by the way, if you read across history, there are many, many people who even got rid of the Old Testament and said it was irrelevant because they said it doesn't matter anymore. Let me say, tell you what the gospel says. The gospel says the story of God's redemptive plan consists of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the full cream of that, the point at which upon which everything pivots, Old Testament, New Testament, is Christ Jesus. If you just had the New Testament without Jesus, you are in trouble. If you just have the Old Testament without Jesus, you are in trouble. Both the New and the Old don't make sense with, with Christ. And Christ is the reconciler of both the Old Testament and New Testament. And everything makes sense. Because what you get is the story of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he's busy on his mission, redeeming the world. And he's done that in the Old Testament. And he's continuing to do it in the New Testament and you'll do it till the end. That's what God is doing. And it says that God's mission was in the Old Testament and is now not to come to this world to deal with the law. God's mission was to come in this world to deal with sin. We have sometimes taken law and sin and made it one and the same thing. The law of God was holy. That's why it was given. Sin was never holy. It was never given. Number three, both have a, a wrong view of salvation. Legalism says we are saved by grace, but the hard work only starts after we get saved. Antinomianism says we are saved by grace, which means I don't have to care about what I do anymore. I need to care about my salvation, which has already happened. Jesus, I'm in. I've crossed the line of faith. Whatever happens from here on does not matter. The gospel says it matters a great deal. It says when you get saved, the life you live now, you live solely for Christ and to Christ alone. Lastly, a wrong view of grace. Legalism says grace is not effective, which means I need to work hard to, to compliment. I need to work hard to help grace so that I can be a better Christian. Antinomianism says grace is cheap. It doesn't matter that whether I'm saved by grace or not. I'm still not changed. I'm still the same person as I was before, which means the grace of God has not done anything. My speech, the things I said about people, everything I used to say, my gossiping, my everything has not changed. If you challenge me, I'm going to say, hey, I'm saved by grace. Who are you to tell me that I'm doing this? Which means it's just saying the grace of God has not done the work it's supposed to do, which means grace is a bit cheap because it's not as effective as we thought it was. Let me just in summary tell you what the gospel says. The gospel says you were bought at a price, 
Grace is not cheap. The gospel says you can't save yourself through human effort. Only Christ saves. The gospel says you are saved by grace and not hard work and not your performance. The gospel says you are saved and loved, therefore obey and not obey so that God might love you. And then the gospel says Christ is the only one who can reach the high standard and in him you too can reach that standard. That's what the gospel is about. And when Paul writes here, he writes to the, 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 the Jews who have been putting law on everyone, and he's also writing to the people who are saved, but have not changed at all. And you will realize later what he says. But he says to the Christians, grace doesn't, is not just there to save you, but grace does many other things. He said you were enriched in speech and knowledge. You are sustained and, uh, by God. You are found guiltless. He will sustain you and you'll be guiltless till the end, till the day of the Lord, and you will not lurk any spiritual gifts. Why? Because of the grace of God. The grace of God is amazing. What's so amazing about grace? Lastly, a future with no end. This is what he says. He says here, he says, God will sustain us to the end. When is the end? Guiltless in the day of the Lord. When is the day of the Lord? God is faithful by whom we were called into fellowship with his son, Christ our Lord Jesus. One of the big questions we ask is, where is all this going? What is the future like? Christ, the gospel says Christ is very unique, and Christianity is very unique in that it doesn't just give you hope. Christianity gives you hope that will not end. In this world, you'll get lots of little hopes, but Christ says, I will give you hope, but no one can take this hope away. It's a hope that is without end. And the gospel does three things. It gives us a new perspective of value. So for instance, when you go to work now, sometimes you might think you are working so that you might earn a salary. Or when you set up, for the guys who are setting up today, sometimes you think I'm setting up because I love the church and everyone can say good and stuff. But the gospel says, no, 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 have an eternal perspective because what you do now has value, not only now, but in the future as well. It says now, your labor in this world is not in vain in the last days. Which means everything I do now, whether I go to work, whether you raise up kids, whether you, 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 you function in the church, your giving, your worship, your spiritual gifts, everything you do now has future consequences. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. What God is interested in is not the, 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 the amount of work we do, but it's the quality, it's the value in it. And by the way, what if some of the most mundane things that we do are the ones with greater value in the kingdom of God? How many of us ignore the mundane and we say they're not for us? How, how many of us ignore the mundane and say, that's not for me, I've gone past that? The little things that we do, the little things that we do that nobody sees are very valuable in the kingdom of God. Because one day, you will be rewarded with no end. You, you, your reward will continue and continue till the end. Priorities. A new perspective on priorities. Eternity gives perspective to my priorities now. So, 
What am I storing in the future? Love is a language that will continue to exist in the future. My money will not continue till the future. So what is my priority? My priority should be relationship more than making more money. Do you know why? Because if I'm making more money now, and I can be so stinking rich, who's the richest man? Jeff Bezos from Amazon? $119 billion. If he dropped dead today, and he goes to the grave, he won't take it with him. But hey, even if you didn't have a penny, but you, are, you invested in relationships now, that has future consequences for you. Because in the future, all that money will be, not, will be normal. But actually, the relationships will last forever. Why? Because we are first going to be in, com in communion with Christ and in communion with one another. So that is very important for us. Lastly, a new perspective on storage. The Bible says, do not store treasure, storage, not storage as in, this is where I'm going to store my stuff. The Bible says, do not store treasure in this well where moth and rust can steal and destroy, but store it in heaven. It is possible that one day, before Christ, right at the end, when we see our Savior and we see our Lord, and you say, I was doing these little things, and Christ says, that's the most valuable. It is impossible today that when you stand before Jesus Christ and you say, oh, I invested more in relationship and not in, in, in some of these things, God is going to say, that's exactly what's going to continue. And it's not just going to continue for 10 years. It's not just going to continue for five years. We are talking about something that will go on for eternity. So the decisions you make now, they do not set you on a trajectory for the rest of your life now, but also there's a trajectory for the rest of your life in the future. Because you all are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean what we do now does not have eternal consequences. So a future that we have is not a future just for now. It's a future that will go beyond that. When one day, the treasures of heaven will be yours forever to enjoy because what you did in this life matters to God more than you realize. Let's all stand. What I want to do today is I want to pray for a specific group of people and in those who through the, the ups and downs of our country's economy, you find yourself in a, in a very vulnerable place. Whether you, your job is on the line, or you have lost your job, or you think you might lose your job, but anything work-related, or you've got a job but is not really able to sustain you, but you just need the job so that you can still you can make ends meet. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will really come and really bless you. I want to pray that you'll, be, you'll continue to serve and participate in what God is doing here. I want to pray that this city is wild in the same way as the Corinth was wild. But hey, it's got people who are able to turn it around. The other thing I want to pray for 
I want to pray for you. In your heart, this is a hard one. In your heart, your heart has grown cold towards God. And maybe to a point that you've become very vulnerable to sin. And you've not done anything about it. If that's you, I want to pray for you. But I want to pray for you. Just come to me, just on the side. Just come and talk to me. And we can pray together. Because I believe that God wants to set people free here from sin, that perpetual sin, things that have been happening for a while. And maybe you've used scripture to just maybe try and justify why that is not a big deal. I believe God says it's a big deal. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for your mercy and your love. I thank you for the gospel, Lord. Lord, I pray that this community will be a welcoming community, regardless of people from whatever background, they all feel at home here. I pray, Lord, that every person who comes in will feel at home, Lord, across the world. I pray the church, Lord, in the city will be one. I pray, Father God, that this, church, this community will reach China and beyond. Lord, I pray that it will be a community without any boundaries, Lord. I pray for these man-made boundaries. Lord, we break them once and for all in Jesus' name. We say the gospel is the gospel of freedom. Father, I want to pray right now for grace to abound in this church. I pray for gifts, Lord, to overflow. Spiritual gifts, Lord, without end. I pray, Father God, that you come and you enrich us, Lord, in this church. Lord, I pray that you help us as a people, as believers here, Lord, to have a speech that is pure, that is seasoned with salt. That, Lord, what we say, what comes out of our mouth will be to build, not to destroy. But, Lord, to build the, the kingdom of God and the church of God. I pray, Lord, that grace will go beyond just saving us, but it will be grace that sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus. I want to pray also, Lord, that everything we do, we will do it with the future in mind. We will not just come up and think about now, but we will know that the gospel provides a future that doesn't end and will go on and on doing great things for Jesus Christ because we love him. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.